1: Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show.
2: Hey, good afternoon and welcome to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Since it's Friday, we're going to take a couple of segments here and uh, reflect on the week in headlines and the lighter side of the news. In Seattle, we'll be saying farewell, but in Portland, we'll continue in our second hour, with the uh, Christian outlook. So strap yourself in. Here we go. Again, the week in headlines. A former American diplomat who served as a U.S. ambassador to Bolivia. He was arrested this week and accused of secretly serving as an agent of Cuba's government. That's according to the Associated Press. They say the 73-year-old was arrested in Miami on a criminal complaint, according to sources. More details about the case are expected to be made public uh, in the days ahead. And the Internal Revenue Service is raising the stakes for those who underpay their taxes. They're ratcheting up the interest penalty that will be assessed in next spring's tax filing season. Earlier this fall, the IRS increased its interest penalty on estimated tax underpayments to 8%. That's a notable jump from 3% just two weeks ago. Taxpayers don't face an interest penalty for underpayment if the balance due is under $1,000 after their credits and other tax account information is factored in. In and a German tourist was stabbed to death on Saturday evening, a, a few hundred yards from the Eiffel Tower, in a suspected Islamist terrorist attack, and rattled the nation of, put them on high alert because of the Israeli Hamas um, war. The suspect, identified as a Frenchman in his mid twenties of Iranian parents, was arrested shortly after the slaying, according to the um, Interior Minister. There, France's counterterrorism protester opened an investigation. The authorities in the number of uh, European countries fear the war is stirring Islamist extremists on the continent to plan further attacks. They are on heightened alert. Well, President Biden is facing a humiliating foreign policy setback this week. As six billion dollars he used to leverage the release of five imprisoned Americans from Iran were frozen. Lawmakers, including members of uh, Biden's own party, voted on Thursday to approve a bill that would permanently freeze those funds, which were unfrozen by the White House in September as part of a controversial deal. Well, the bill named the No Funds for Iranian Terrorism Act passed 307 to 119, which was approved by almost every Republican and 90 Democrats. Let's see in other news. Through my notes here. A judge blocked Montana's TikTok ban. Uh, the ban was slated to go into effect a month from, well, this week. However, because the ban ostensibly infringed on the constitutional right of users, according to a U.S. district judge, Donald Malloy, the January 1 implementation of it won't be happening. Amazingly, TikTok lawyers say national security concerns raised by the state are not backed by solid evidence, a point that the judge appeared to agree with in his 48-page ruling. The Washington Examiner reports adding that the legality of the law will be considered further at a bench trial that has not yet been scheduled. But for now, TikTok will remain available in the state. So the issue isn't dead. It's just pushed off to some future date. Well, the Biden administration is nickeling and diming Americans at every possible opportunity, but it uh, with um, uh, be it with regulatory state costs, uh, the average household, $14,000 uh, annually. By inflation, it's uh, weakening the dollar by nearly 19 percent. And now via the Internal Revenue Service, as I mentioned, uh, they're now charging 8 percent interest for underpayments of taxes starting October one. And North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum, he dropped out of the 2024 presidential race on the GOP side uh, this week. COP28, the U.N. Uh, climate talks, they took aim at food. However, 22 countries pledged to triple their nuclear capacity and a push to cut fossil fuels. It's the only way to reach their um, vaunted goals. Well, Representative Dean Phillips says he plans to under-promise and over-deliver as he runs on a long-shot primary challenge against President Biden for the Democratic nomination. Phillips, one of the wealthiest members of Congress, he launched his campaign for the White House in late October. He's focusing most of his time on uh, and resources on New Hampshire, where the president's name won't be on the ballot in the state unsanctioned Democratic primary on the 23rd of January. Do I have to win? No, absolutely not, he says. Do I think I'm going to? No, I don't. I bet you... Um, You've never heard that from a political uh, candidate before, Phillips answered, uh, when asked the question about needing to finish in New Hampshire's primary to continue his presidential quest. Well, We'll continue to observe, but again, the expectation is quite low. Meanwhile, Governor Josh Shapiro condemned a pro-Palestinian protest outside a Jewish restaurant in Philadelphia on Sunday as a blatant act of anti-Semitism as tensions continue to rise over the war between Israel and Hamas. Demonstrators gathered outside the Goldie. Uh, It's a restaurant, a Jewish-Israeli-owned falafel restaurant, waving Palestinian flags and chanting, Goldie, Goldie, you can't hide. We charge you with genocide. Well, the protesters called for an end to the, uh, to, uh, of Israel and to free Gaza, an end to Israel. People later placed stickers that read Free Palestine on the restaurant. Governor Josh Shapiro, having done nothing, did say it was a bad idea and anti-Semitic. Not very meaningful, however, when there's, it's not um, backed up by anything tangible Meanwhile, an investigator found Hamas weaponized sexual violence against Israelis during the October 7th attack. I won't go into detail, but it is horrific, to say the least, uh, to hear the litany of uh, efforts to torture Israeli women, in particular, uh, by Hamas, once they were uh, taken hostage. Mm. A leading women's rights advocate uh, confronted the U.N. about not condemning that sexual violence that Hamas used against Israeli women. Cheryl Sandberg, a longtime advocate for women's rights and girls' rights, spoke out against Hamas' use of sexual violence as a war tactic, saying at the United Nations on Monday of this week, rape should never be used as an act of war. Silence is complicity. Echoing back the words that many women's rights organizations have um, have used. And in the face of terror, we cannot be quiet. That is why we are all here today to speak about unspeakable acts, she said. The former chief operating officer of Facebook, now Meta, and founder of the nonprofit group Lean In, spoke at an assembly hosted by Israel at the United Nations headquarters in New York on Monday. In a recent interview with a Lebanese media outlet, a senior Hamas official claimed an attack much larger than what we what the world witnessed against Israel on October 7th is coming in the near future. This was just the warm up. He went on to declare a new Biden administration rule forces schools to comply with progressive ideology on gender and sexuality or risk losing the federal aid for free and reduced price lunches. Um, Now, this is taxpayer dollars paid by some of those uh, kids' parents in these schools whose funding will be pulled. Well, the school lunch funding controversy began in May of last year with an announcement from the U.S. Department of Agriculture, which handles federal help for school lunches. The USDA said at the time it would change its longstanding interpretation of Title IX, the law broadly governing discrimination protections in education. USDA said that it would expand its previous prohibition against discriminating based on sex to include discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity. That change has major legal and taxpayer dollar implications and is an unprecedented reinterpretation of the statute according to experts. For instance, schools receiving Pell Grants, F-A-F-S-A, or students who receive federally subsidized school lunch funding will be subject to the new Title IX interpretation or risk losing that fund, using children, low-income tri- uh, children in particular, as pawns in this, uh, this effort. Well, those who think the transgender cult is much ado about nothing should put themselves in the shoes of a Christian parent or parents Uh, Joe and Serena Wales. Well, the Waleses... They learned that their 11-year-old daughter, whom they entrusted to the Jefferson County Public Schools for a cross-country summer trip from their home in Colorado to Washington, D.C. and Philadelphia, said they discovered that the GCPS had assigned their daughter to share a room with a biological male who identified as a girl without notifying them or informing their daughter. Apparently, their daughter only learned of her male bedmate's uh, identity, and again, they were to share a bed because the student told her on the first night of the trip. The Alliance Defending Freedom has taken up the case, arguing it then took the girl and her parents multiple requests to get her moved to another room. And even then chaperones told the girl to lie about the reason for her move because of the district's overnight rooming policy, a policy that violates parental rights and student privacy. World carbon dioxide emissions increased again, driven by China, India and aviation, we learned this week. And as Vice President Joe Biden used email aliases and private email addresses to communicate with the, his son, Joe Biden, and Hunter's, um, I should say his son, Hunter Biden, and his business associates hundreds of times. New records released by the House Ways and Means Committee revealed the committee obtained metadata from IRS whistleblower Gary Shapley and Joseph Zeigler. Uh, That reveals Joe Biden used alias email accounts 327 times during a nine year period, 2010 to 2019, to correspond with his son. One of Hunter's key business associates, among others. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're winding through the week in headlines. We'll continue in just a moment.
1: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Friday edition of The Georgine Rice Show. We're looking at the week in headlines. And in the second half of this hour, we'll take a look at the lighter side of the news. If you're in Portland, the Christian Outlook will follow. In Seattle, we'll bid you adieu. Again, looking at the headlines, Representative Jim Banks, a Republican out of Indiana, is out with a new bill aimed at preventing child welfare agencies from denying prospective adopters who say they will raise kids in a manner consistent with the minor's biological sex. The Biden administration is cruelly preventing countless children in the foster care and adoption system from going to loving homes just because parents are opposed to irreversible sex change procedures on kids, Banks told Fox News Digital. This isn't a liberal or conservative issue, he went on to say. This is just plain wrong. And um, every sane person knows it, end quote. Well, it comes after the Department of Health and Human Services announced a new rule aimed at ensuring minors are placed in homes accepting of their sexual orientation or gender identity. Now, that does not mean that the child makes a pronouncement before they're placed. The uh, rule applies to any child. Uh, who may at some point in the future or may not declare that they are something other than their biological sex. The rule would require that child welfare, welfare, welfare agencies, excuse me, ensure that each child in their care who identifies uh, receives a safe and appropriate placement and service that help them thrive. A top House panel is probing the Biden administration's negotiations with left wing environmental groups seeking to remove four hydroelectric dams in Washington state to protect salmon. The House Natural Resources Committee, Water, Wildlife and Fisheries Subcommittee, they held hearings. and we'll hold additional hearings next week uh, where it will review efforts to effectively dismantle the dams, which are a key source of clean energy and which enable agricultural transport and related litigation. Experts and industry groups will speak at the hearing about the importance of the four federally managed dams. Pacific Northwest residents should be extremely concerned. Representative Cliff Benz out of Oregon Uh, said, who chairs the subcommittee, um, it's exactly what we've been saying for years, that we have unelected folks, bureaucrats, especially in the Council on Environmental Quality, dramatically exceeding their authority and basically stepping outside the description of what they have the power uh, to do reflected in National Environmental Protection Act. Ben said that he hopes witnesses will be able to highlight How removing or breaching the dams will impact electricity rates consumers pay and farmers who transport hundreds of thousands of tons of food, especially wheat, aided by the dams. The four dams are located on the lower Snake River, which winds through Idaho and Washington before feeding into the Columbia River and then the Pacific Ocean. Illustrating Democrats' very real problem supporting Israel and condemning anti-Semitism, 13 members of the president's party in the U.S. House of Representatives voted no and another 92 voted present. On a resolution strongly condemning and denouncing the drastic rise in antisemitism in the United States and around the world, they could not say yes. We oppose antisemitism. The resolution singled out the chance of from the river to the sea as one of the antisemitic acts it condemned. It also cited the killing of Paul Kessler by a pro-Palestinian protester in Los Angeles and a violent November 15th protest where pro-Palestinian demonstrators blocked entrances to the Democratic National Committee headquarters, injuring six police officers. Ninety-two House Democrats just voted present on the resolution condemning anti-Semitism. Retired collegiate swimmer and women's sports advocate Riley Gaines testified on Tuesday afternoon in a House subcommittee hearing titled The Importance of Protecting Female Athletes and Title IX. Gaines discussed her story of being forced to compete against Leah Born William Thomas, a man who says he's a woman. Gaines said that she and other female swimmers watched as this male swam to a woman's national title, beating out the most impressive and accomplished female swimmers in the nation, including Olympians and American record holders. In addition to losing out on opportunities uh, to uh, Thomas, we also had to share a locker room and change in front of a six foot four, fully intact, naked male. She added, "Neither she nor other swimmers were forewarned of this arrangement." She said, "We were not asked for our consent. We did not give our consent." She elaborated that science supports this instinct with studies showing that males have a ten to twelve percent athletic advantage over females. Mary Margaret, uh, Margaret O'Hallahan, twelve-time uh, All-American swimmer, IWF ambassador Riley Gaines testified before the lawmakers on the importance of protecting female athletics and Title IX. Greg Price also weighed in, saying National Women's Law Center President Fatima Gross Graves, the liberal witness at the Title IX hearing, says that female athletes should learn to lose gracefully to biological men. Wow. Where are all the feminists on this? Well, we know where they are. Speaker Mike Johnson sent a a message to President Biden, fix the border and we'll discuss Ukraine funding. Well, the newly minted House Speaker, he sent a letter to the Office of Management and Budget Director Shalanda Young on Tuesday, laying a laying down a line on Ukraine funding. While the letter is addressed to Young, who's negotiating with lawmakers on a government funding package by the end of the year, it's actually for President Joe Biden, who refuses to protect the southern border. And Border Patrol agents released 42,000 illegal immigrants in San Diego. The uh, border authorities dropped off 42,000 immigrants on the uh, county streets between September and November of this year. The migrants have often been left at bus and trolley stops. Three prominent sites for drop-offs have been the Iris Transit Center in San Diego, in um, San uh, Ysidro, um, Uh, near the Port of Entry and in Oceanside. In September, Oceanside Mayor and uh, the status of the uh, man inside the... Let me get this... Uh, I should say Mayor Esther Sanchez said roughly 100 illegal immigrants arrived every day in Oceanside from San Clemente, where they had been processed. In October, the San Diego County Board of Supervisors spent three million dollars for migrant support services. And on Tuesday, the board will vote whether to spend another three million for the Welcome Center for Immigrants. Under a proposed rule by the uh, president's Department of Health and Human Services, states may no longer be able to use temporary assistance for needy families. Uh, These funds to keep pro-life pregnancy resource centers open. The rule proposed by HHS Secretary Xavier Becerra uh, will impact four states that use these funds toward pregnancy resource centers, Missouri, Pennsylvania, Louisiana and Indiana, which explains why uh, the. Pregnancy resource centers in the Portland metro area do not take a federal funds. And why I, my guess is in Washington, that's broadly the case as well. The Department of Justice is preventing two would-be whistleblowers from testifying in the Biden impeachment investigation, House Republicans claim, in a report on the status of their investigation released earlier this week. The 78 page report issued by the House Judiciary Ways and Means and Oversight Committees accused the Department of Justice of stonewalling the congressional investigation into allegations that the Biden administration gave the president's son special treatment while investigating his failure to um, uh, fax federal income taxes in 2017 and 2018. Earlier this year, two IRS whistleblowers uh, they came forward alleging that the investigation into Biden taxes were throttled and politically influenced. Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis made their cases for the second place in the debate. Iowa caucuses are in uh, six weeks. Uh, DeSantis was asked if recent polling numbers suggest 2028 would have been a better time to run, given most Republicans uh, voters still prefer Trump. We're going to earn this nomination. DeSantis responded, I will fight for you and I will win for you. A nine minute segment focused largely on the fentanyl scourge with Haley and Ramaswamy focused more on China than Mexico as a source of the drug. And when asked about the U.S.-Mexico border, both DeSantis and Haley said that they, if elected, uh, would use U.S. military assets at the southern border to go after Mexican drug cartels to stem the flow of fentanyl coming over the border. Never back down. Ron DeSantis uh, on ensuring the 21st century is an American century, not a Chinese century, said deterring China's ambitions is the number one national security task that I will do as president. And though Trump was um, physically absent again, the spectator of his uh, bid to return to the Oval Office hung in the ba- the background, the specter rather, uh, throughout the night, DeSantis and Haley, who are within A shouting distance of each other in national polls and some state surveys tussled to gain an upper hand in the fight to move into the sole possession of second place. President Biden canceled another four point eight billion dollars in student loans for 80,000 people. And Tuesday saw a record number of encounters at the southern border. Kevin McCarthy will resign at the end of December. Representative McCarthy announced Wednesday that he will not seek reelection and will instead Uh, retire from office at the end of December, leaving Republicans with an even thinner majority in the lower chamber until a special election is held to find his replacement. To find his replacement. Well, I'm not sure where that uh, go from here again, looking at. uh, Notes from the week. CNN is questioning the president's motives for running in 2024. CNN's Jake Tapper questioned the stunning admission the president made earlier this week. To supporters on Tuesday about why he's seeking a second term during a private door event in Boston, the president reportedly said, if Trump was running, I'm not sure uh, if Trump wasn't running, I'm not sure I'd be running. But we cannot let him win for the sake of the country. Biden makes a stunning admission that if Donald Trump wasn't running for president, he would not be running. They uh, reported on X. The Associated Press weighed in. Americans actually agree on something. It's uh, in this time of raw discord. Joe Biden is too old to be an effective president in a second term in the poll fully 77 percent said biden is too old to be effective for four years not only do 89 percent of republicans say that so do 69 percent of democrats that view is held across age groups not just young people And it was a good fight, but a lonely one. Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville, the former Auburn football coach who put principle before party by putting a month long hold on nearly all military promotions in order to protest the Biden Pentagon's unlawful policy of allowing troops time off to travel and travel funds for abortions has called an end to the battle. In doing so, the Wall Street Journal reports. He clears the way for hundreds of officers to move forward immediately while still demanding individual votes for about a dozen four star generals and admirals. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show as we've uh, looked back on the week in headlines. Coming up, we'll take a look at uh, the lighter side of the news. James Blend will join me for just that.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. I've invited James Blend once again to join me to take a look at the lighter side of the news. By the way, James Blend is the uh, producer of the Georgine Rice Show here in Portland. He's also the uh, person who oversees all of the concerts and events here as well. Anyway, welcome, James.
3: Hello. How are you? Do you
2: have a title for that other role that you hold?
3: Uh, director of
2: concert events. Ooh, director of concert events. That's impressive. I guess. Yeah, it is. Okay, you say so. Yeah. We're going to take a look at the lighter side of the news, uh, beginning with this one, which I have concluded is a sign that I will not be cooking tonight. Uh, this case takes place in Illinois. Some firefighters there conducted an unusual rescue when a resident's six-foot boa constrictor escaped from her enclosure and got stuck in the side panel of a kitchen cabinet uh, the city of Heron Fire Department said uh, crews responded to the home of a person who reported their their pet snake. I don't get people who have boa constrictors as snakes. they six. This one is six foot tall or long. Uh, anyway, they reported their pet snake was missing, uh, had been stuck in the side panel of a kitchen cabinet for about 12 hours. Now, my understanding initially was that it had been in the stove, but it was apparently a kitchen cabinet. Well, firefighters were able to disassemble the cabinet so that the owners could get the snake, according to the Department of, um, of um, the Firefighters in Illinois. Uh, the cabinet was reassembled and the snake was safely returned to her enclosure, according to firefighters who are, you know, just straight up heroes. I again I couldn't uh, go into that profession because that's not something I would be able to do but I'm grateful that there are people who can.
3: I you know I I I don't understand the pet snake thing either but especially a boa constrictor I mean in general I, I I'm not a big pet person to begin with but the idea of a pet that could at any given moment kill you um seems like maybe not the best idea.
2: Yeah, I kind of struggle with that myself. Anyway, a Texas woman had an early holiday surprise when she found an opossum hiding in the branches of her Christmas tree. Oh, that would be the end of me. That would be the end of me right there. A video posted to TikTok, I wouldn't recommend you go there, just mentioning it, shows the opossum hiding inside the adorned, and I'm telling you, the tree is adorned inside the woman's home. So somehow it managed to remain in the tree while they were decorating it. The woman said in a follow-up video that she does not know how the animal got inside her home as no doors had been left open. She said she heard noises after arriving home from work, but initially thought they were coming from one of her three dogs or her cat. She eventually got up to investigate the sounds and saw a um, long rat tail sticking out from her tree. The woman donned rubber gloves and attempted to pull the animal from out of the tree, but it was clinging tightly to a branch. She was able to pull the opossum free eventually, but it broke uh, from her grasp and fled under a couch. The animal fled from uh, furniture item to furniture item until the woman was able to tackle him like an NFL football player. I tell you, I admire this woman. I would have been in the garage weeping uncontrollably. The woman said the opossum, which she was able to carry outside, was not mean or aggressive during this whole encounter. As an animal lover, I probably would have kept it. If I didn't, if it didn't smell so horrid, she said.
3: It f- reminds me of a scene from Christmas Vacation.
2: Oh, that's one of the funniest scenes I've ever seen the, in my life. Yeah. That, yeah.
3: Yeah. That's that.
2: That's a hilarious uh, scene from the movie. I hadn't seen it uh, until my brother brought it to my attention one Christmas just a couple of years ago. So I purposely sat through that entire movie waiting for that scene. And it's it's hilarious.
3: Yeah, it definitely is. And I, I think that's probably the next best thing to a possum. Yeah. Although, you know. Of course, I, the squirrel,
2: yeah. it sent the uh, homeowner scurrying from the home. In this case, she just put on her gloves and went for it.
3: That's bravery right there.
2: Absolutely. We used to uh, go and cut our own Christmas tree and drag it into the house and do that whole thing. We don't do that anymore. We just have a tree that we pull out of the garage and I assemble. Um, but those were the days going out and cutting a tree. And I think if, if we had ever found anything living other than bugs that oftentimes you find on your ceiling or somewhere on the floor after it's been in your house for a, a little while, that just would have done it for me. I would have been hospitalized. That's uh, pretty much the situation. I
3: think most people would to an extent. I mean, I think that, uh, finding something in your tree that you're not expecting is enough of a shock that it could, uh, even the most ardent animal lovers could be like, whoa, was not expecting that. Yeah. And you know, have have the uh, correlating heart attack.
2: You know, on a squirrel and a an opossum that puts the wild in wild animal.
3: At least it wasn't a boa constrictor.
2: Well, there is that. A Pennsylvania library said a book returned to the facility after being spotted at a book sale was nearly 120 years overdue. The Carbondale Public Library said in a Facebook post that the book, "The Cruise of the Esmeralda" by Harry Collingwood was returned by personnel from the Hawley Library who spotted the tome at a book sale. Well, the book still bears a pocket inside the cover, uh, listing the library's rules and contains a library card issued by the uh, rather two Horace Short in 1904. Well, the library said the book was checked out um, for forty three thousand six hundred and forty one days, which would have accrued. $872,000 or excuse me, $872.82 at the 1904 rate of two cents per day or $10,910.25 at the current rate of 25 cents per day. Mr. Short is very lucky. We currently cap fines for books at $10, the library said in a comment under the post.
3: Good luck finding him.
2: Yeah, really. The thing that was thrilling to me wasn't so much that the book was 120 years overdue, but that there are still libraries that people are frequenting. That's kind of a nice well, thing obviously, to know.
3: Uh, obviously, Horace wasn't frequenting his, his library. Otherwise, he would have returned his book.
2: Well, yeah, that's true.
3: So one, one person who should have probably visited more often is our friend Horace.
2: Sorry, Horace. Didn't mean to publicly shame you, but it made for a good story. A vinyl record by Junior Walker and the All-Stars, I liked Junior Walker and the All-Stars, by the way, was returned to a Boston library more than 47 years past its due date. Well, the Jamaica Plain branch of the Boston Public Library said staff members emptying out a return bin in front of the library discovered a vinyl record of anthology by the group, which had been due back on October 27th, 1976. The album cover, it contained a punch card from the Eagleston Square Branch Library where the record was originally part of the collection. The library said the record is no longer in its system as none of the Boston Public Library branches stock vinyl records anymore. That probably ended some time ago. Librarians said they do not know who originally checked the, the album out or who returned it, but no fines would have been issued for the late return. No consequence whatsoever.
3: I mean, that's the thing. if there's not consequences for re- returning an overdue record, I don't know what, you know what there should be consequences for in today's society.
2: Yeah, doing a bank job. But the other
3: thing too, the other keeping thing about too long.: I mean vinyls had quite the comeback the last couple they of years. Have. You would think maybe they would think, "Hey, this is a good idea. maybe we should stock this again, but uh, you know, then again, maybe not.
2: There's no accounting for fill in the blank, exactly. Well, a Nebraska woman bagged a marriage proposal earlier this month, along with a big buck during a recent deer hunting trip. Now, there's nothing remarkable about being proposed to, although these days maybe there is. But Samantha, whose last name I'm not going to attempt to mispronounce, her boyfriend not only gave her the first shot at the deer that they had spotted on a trail um, camera south of Lincoln, but this is Lincoln, Nebraska, but then surprised her by popping the question in the middle of a photo shoot with the prized trophy in the background. A giant buck with 11 tines on one side of its antlers and nine on the other. Nothing says, I love you, will you marry me, than a dead deer with lots of antlers. Everybody has been saying they uh, would marry him too if uh, he let them shoot the, the, uh, the big deer first, said the 28-year-old who lives in Omaha. Uh, in three years of dating, one of the things the couple bonded over is their shared love of hunting. They uh, process and eat the meat and what they kill. Cole Burris said that he didn't have any problem letting uh, his fiance take the first shot at the buck. I was just as excited as she was when she got it, the 32-year-old now engaged young man said from Nebraska. Uh, then uh, the pair, uh, he said rather that um, the pair wanted a professional photographer to take some pictures to commemorate the big moment. A partway through the picture, he got down on one knee and asked her to marry him, allowing the photographer to capture exactly when she said yes.
3: At least he didn't tie the ring around the deer and say, uh, you know, find the right deer and shoot it. Otherwise, no (laughs) ring.
2: Well, at least there's that. All right. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, and, uh, we'll be back in just a few moments.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show as we take a look at the lighter side of the news. Now, I say we because I've invited James Blend to join me in that endeavor.
3: And what an endeavor it is.
2: Yes. One of the things I think they ought to teach in school. I mean, they teach a lot of things. A lot of it's of very little use. Um, but they ought to teach the, purpose and value of the waist and that it serves a purpose in helping to keep one's trousers skirts or other uh, clothing items up so that you don't expose unseemly portions of your anatomy well if you are planning a life of crime you might want to consider well this story a pair of multicolored briefs peeking out above a robbery suspect's low-slung trousers helped police arrest him more than a year later according to federal authorities. And I never got the phenomenon of, you know, low riders where uh, your your pants, and this is primarily the case with young men, your pants, um, they rest beneath the fullest part of your backside. And one of the things I do to m- amuse myself is to watch the, the lengths to which some of these young men will go to walk in order to keep their pants up because there's nothing to hold them up. So you have to spread your feet apart um, at the widest uh, range possible in order to keep the pants from coming all the way down. It's really quite amusing. Anyway, the robbery, it happened at a tobacco shop in Queens in September. Three masked men uh, got to the, uh, uh, got out of a Mazda and entered the store, according to the complaint filed with the federal court last week. Two of the men pointed guns at employees and customers, while the third emptied the cash register and grabbed merchandise and employees' cell phones, the complaint said. Well, surveillance video that were uh, Disseminated through the media showed the third robber wearing brightly colored briefs with a large letter R in white and um, the year 1990 in yellow. Well, an anonymous tipster, he passed along the Instagram handle of a suspect with a colorful underwear. The complaint said the caller also told the police that the robber had tried to sell their stolen merchandise at another queen's location. Well, detectives reviewed the video footage from the uh, sale location and spotted the man. With a colorful underwear, now easily identifiable because he was no longer wearing a mask, the complaint said. Well, police identified the suspect based on the in his Instagram account, the video from the merchandise sale spot, and uh, photos from his prior arrests. Thirty-year-old suspect, thirty years old, should know where his waist is, and no better than to. Anyway, Thieve was arrested on Wednesday morning at his home in Queens by members of the New York Police Department's Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms Joint Task Force. An email seeking comment was sent to the suspect's attorney with the federal judge a uh, f- uh, federal public defender's office. The other robbery suspects are still at large. Apparently, their pants were pulled up and they did not wear colorful undergarments. Anyway, just keep your pants up.
3: It seems like an easy enough thing. I mean, they have... Multiple devices available to assist with that. There's the belt. Suspenders. There's the
2: suspender. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And there's the waistband, which in and of itself is sufficient to hold something in its proper place.
3: Yes, indeed.
2: Okay. Well, a man uh, was shocked to discover the source of his headache was, um, he had this headache for five months. He had a headache for five months, and he discovered after five months the source of his headaches a pair of chopsticks inside his skull. That's
3: not what I, where I expected that one to no. go.
2: How does a man uh, find himself impaled by a pair of chopsticks, I mean, suffer weird for enough. five months with a headache, and have no idea of any of this? Well, the man recalled getting in a fight while he was out drinking months earlier. A pounding headache led to a shocking discovery after the source of the pain was revealed to be a pair of chopsticks after the man experienced these um, headaches. And again, five months, doctors at Cuba Friendships Hospital in Dong Hoi told the 35-year-old man that he had a pair of chopsticks lodged inside his skull, according to the New York Post. Upon checking into the hospital in November, a CT scan revealed that the man was suffering from a rare, potentially life-threatening neurological condition that was caused by the pair of chopsticks that had allegedly gone up his nose and into his brain. He suffered a headache for five months and had no idea.
3: I, 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 Yeah. Well, the Post
2: reported that while the man was initially surprised at how chopsticks ended up inside his skull, he soon remembered a fight he was involved in while out drinking five months prior. Okay, two things. Keep your pants up. Stop drinking. The patient reportedly told doctors that he could not recall many details from the fight, but did remember something stabbing him in the face with an unknown object. Stay sober. Boy, the surgeons were able to successfully remove the chopsticks and the patient was said to be in stable condition waiting to be released. From the hospital, I'm
3: not sure stable is the right word to use here.
2: Wow. A pair, not just one, a pair. I I don't get it. I mean, at what angle would they have to have gone in? You've seen the length of a chopstick. They're they're not short. This just does not. Okay.
3: At five months?
2: Five months.
3: I mean, I don't know that I would go five days without getting a headache check.
2: Five out. minutes. I mean, I obviously had to sober up, but maybe an hour or so. Anyway, again, stay sober. Stop drinking. Keep your pants up.
3: These seem like such easy things that are such a problem, apparently.
2: Yeah, common sense is dead. A Paraguayan official is out over an agreement he made and signed with a fake country. Well, a Paraguayan government official was replaced after it was revealed that he signed a memorandum of understanding with representatives of a fugitive Indian guru fictional country who also appeared to have duped several local officials in the South American country. The revelation sparked a scandal and lots of social media mockery in Paraguay, but it's hardly the first time self-described representatives of the United States of Casala duped international leaders. Earlier this year, they managed to participate in a United Nations Committee meeting in Geneva and also signed agreements with local leaders in the United States and Canada. Arnaldo Charmaro was replaced as chief of staff for the Paraguay's uh, Agricultural Ministry on Wednesday, shortly after it was revealed that he signed a proclamation with the representative of the United States of Casa- Cal- Calasa, well, among other things, uh, the October 16th proclamation expressed a sincere wish and recommendation for the government of Paraguay to consider, explore, and actively seek the establishment of diplomatic relations with the United States of Calasa and support the admission of the uh, United States of Calasa as a sovereign and independent state in various international organizations, including, among others, the United Nations, according to a copy of the agreement posted on social media. Representatives of the fictional country met with the uh, Shamaro and agriculture ministry carlos camirez uh, Chamorro said in a radio interview well during the interview he recognized he didn't know where the country was located and said he signed what he characterized as a memorandum of understanding because they offered to help paraguay with a, a variety of issues including irrigation photos posted of the uh, on the country's social media accounts also, showed representatives of the fictional country signing agreements with local leaders of the um, Maria Antonio and Karpai uh, municipalities. Uh, the social media account celebrated each of these signings. Well, the Kalasa's website, the fictional country, is described as the revival of the ancient enlightened Hindu civilizational nation, which is being revived by displaced Hindus from around the world. It is led by a self styled guru who is wanted in India on several charges, including sexual assault. His whereabouts are unknown. This is all from the website. Representatives of the United States of Kalasa participated in two U.N. committee meetings in Geneva in February, according to media reports. In March, Newark City Council of New Jersey, they acknowledged it had gotten scammed when it signed a sister city agreement with Calassa. Wow. And these are the people who are making decisions nationally and internationally about the future of the globe
3: you know it, it, i feel better yeah it reminds me uh that uh you know i i, I mentioned that i won a vacation recently to um agrabah yeah i can't wait i i hear i hear they've got a great genie and stuff there
2: so. <laughs> oh my well we <laughs> i'll i'll talk to him uh, when just, we. it's like a, a whole
3: new world i mean you know yeah
2: it is a whole new world Hey, we are out of time. If you're uh, in Portland, we're going to continue with the Christian Outlook. If you are Seattle listeners, have a great weekend and uh, we'll hope to talk with you again next week. I want to thank Pedro Bartes for engineering and producing today's program in the Seattle market. News up next.
3: You know, Georgine, you've never had a friend like me.
1: <laughs> no, I haven't. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com. And like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for Critical Times on 93.9 KPDQ.
0: Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells.